0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Awesome, well, I'm excited to be talking with you tonight. We're in a series called Summer in Psalms. We're talking about some of our favorite psalms. Uh, First, I wanna thank people. Can we thank some people? Is gratitude okay? You know, what, notes? Got it. If you need notes, raise your hand. If you need notes, if you're out there and you need notes, Ushers are going to run to you. While we do that, I'm going to thank some people. Number one, my beautiful wife Christy is here today. Yeah, um, it's amazing. You stop and think, I wouldn't have known to ask for somebody as good as you, and that's going to be a oh statement, but it's true. I think we have to understand that you don't even know what you need as well as God knows what you need. Amen. Uh, the other thing is, can we thank the worship team and the production team? Amen. We tell our ushers all the time, thanks for keeping us in line. You know, we, just, we need volunteers across this campus in order that the message can be heard. So I'm gonna, read some, uh, I'm gonna read one of my favorite Psalms and then we're gonna pray. So feel free to keep passing out announcements as I read. It says this, are you ready? Psalm 27 in the NLT says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head up high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Don't let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the Psalms. God, we thank you that this is a collection of writings of people who were honest before God, who worshiped with honesty, who poured out their heart before you and who found you sometimes in desperate places. So tonight we ask that we would encounter God by looking in the Psalms and we ask that we would learn things from the scripture that we couldn't possibly have learned on our own, but the Holy Spirit reveals it to us as we read. Father, I ask you that the scriptures would come alive and would open up to us as we talk about this together. I pray for those of us who maybe walked in with preconceived notions of church, or of Christianity, or of scripture. Those, those of us who've had bad experiences and have walked in with walls built up, I ask that you would help us to let our guard down for a moment tonight and to allow you to speak freely. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So I love Psalm 27. Now, if you don't know kind of the history of Psalms, Pastor Ken did a wonderful job of explaining it in detail last week. Um, But many of the Psalms were written by King David. And King David uh, was the king in Israel a long, long time ago before Jesus. And uh, he was one of the most powerful military rulers of his time. But King David loved to write music. And uh, he penned a, a lot of the Psalms. And this is one that he wrote. And I love the themes in it. And so I want to share it with you today. Now, oftentimes, as a worship pastor, I I lock in on the parts about all I want to do for the rest of my life is worship God. And my favorite verse in this whole entire passage is, I think it's verse uh, verse. Fourteen. No, I lost it. Oh, no. Verse eight, it says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. But as I began to kind of study this, to teach it today, I, I really learned some things from this passage that maybe I'd never seen before in reading it over and over again. And what struck me in this is there's about five things, major themes that we can learn from. But what's really cool is that the big two for me are dealing with fear and walking in confidence. And many of us struggle with fear and anxiety in our world today. And so David addresses this issue and David struggled with a lot of fear. David was a man who went through a lot of turmoil in his life, successful military leader, successful ruler over Israel, but had a lot of things happen that weren't so good. And so he struggled with that a lot. And we see how he learned to not just cope with fear, but to put it in its place and to deal with it. And there's other themes here. These are five major themes we'll talk about today. Number one, choosing not to fear. Number two, gaining confidence. Number three, fighting your feelings. Number four, obeying God's voice. Number six, I mean, number five, I didn't ever learn how to count, that's a bummer. We are learning about how to hurry up and wait. Everybody say, hurry up and wait. So, first, I want to dive into this really quick. And I want you to see what he writes in the very beginning of this. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And then he goes on, he says, The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Now, what happens is that David begins this psalm with a declaration of God's power. So, David comes right out of the gate and he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's pretty bold. He declares that God is the source of his salvation and his protection. But in response to these declarations, he then asks two questions. So he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life for this version says my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? See, there's two types of fear in life, healthy fear and unhealthy fear. Healthy fear and unhealthy fear. Now here's some examples of healthy fear. If there's a lion coming at you, you should feel a slight bit of fear, right? If there's a tiger coming at you, you should feel a slight bit of fear. You should want to change your situation pretty quickly. Um, Falling off a cliff is a healthy fear, right? Right? I, my dad, when I was in seventh grade, uh, he retired from the military When we drove from San Diego to Texas. He took me to the grand Canyon and, uh, he was a little bit terrified. My dad is a tough guy. He was a Marine drill instructor and he was a little bit scared because my seventh grade brain decided to get a little too close to the edge of the grand Canyon. And so I scared my dad a little bit and rightfully so. There's healthy fears like that. I'm not talking about like a paranoia and I'm always thinking about, well, what if I fall off of this? I'm talking about you should have a little bit of respect for the edge of a cliff. I grew up around the ocean and around water. My dad was a water survival instructor. And so you learn to not fear water, but to respect water, right? So there's healthy fears. But then there's unhealthy fears, There's people who have crazy phobias and we know some of those. Some of us have some of those, right? But then there's other unhealthy fears that we face. Maybe we face things like, what do people think about me? What are they gonna say about me? Pastor Karen on Sunday had an excellent portion of her message about what people think about us. I'd encourage you to go check it out. You might fear confessing sins and things that you deal with. Maybe you fear that because you don't want maybe God to be mad at you. Number one, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. It doesn't say he's going to get really mad at you. It says he'll forgive you. But number two, James says that we have to confess to have healing. And sometimes we're afraid of that because we think, well, number one, it's embarrassing. Number two, what if they tell somebody else? What are they going to think about me? Let me say this. First of all, pick the people wisely. We all know the old thing, like don't go to a bar to try to talk to somebody about your problems that you don't know anonymously. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever that is for you. Hopefully it's not a bar. If you're about my age, it's a coffee shop. But don't try to find somebody to speak to about your problems anonymously. But find the right people. Maybe somebody you can trust or a counselor, whoever that may be. But the other thing is, is embarrassment and pain worth freedom? There was a movie about the late uh, Rich Mullins. He was obviously a famous singer, if you know who he was, he was a Christian, but he had a lot of struggles in life. It's It's a pretty interesting movie. And a guy asks him in the movie, and this is probably not an actual quote from his life, but it's fascinating. A guy asks him in the movie, Rich, are you free? And Rich Mullins turns to him and he says, what does that mean? And the guy looks at him and says, a free man would know what that means. You know, maybe sometimes we're afraid of talking about things, but really the pain it would take to talk about it would liberate us to walk in true freedom. I think that's for, that's for a lot of us. Maybe fear of failure. Now, I get that. I mean, let's say you're trying a new business venture. You don't want to lose all your money, but you've got to someday overcome the fear of failure or else you're never going to try anything new. There's lots of fears that we have in life. Some are healthy, some are unhealthy. But I like what David does here because when he asked, why should I be afraid? He addressed how illogical fear really is. So he starts by saying how big and how awesome God is. The Lord is my light and my salvation The Lord is the stronghold or the refuge of my life. He protects me, but he follows it with questions. And these questions are important. He says, so why should I be afraid? Why should I tremble? He addresses the fact that if you truly believe that God is as big and as awesome as he says he is, then fear is illogical. If God's on our side and he's all powerful, What reason do we have to be afraid? You know, even some healthy fears, you don't have to fear them when God's on your side. Maybe you're faced with a diagnosis, whatever it may be. Maybe you're faced with an unforeseen financial crisis that was not your fault in any way, medical bills or whatever that may be. And some people would say, man, you ought to be worried about that. But I would challenge you that maybe that fear is illogical if you really believe in how good and how amazing and how big your God is. Hebrews thirteen six says this, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? I love that attitude. It doesn't give you a right to be arrogant or cocky. Well, you can't do anything to me. Look at God. It doesn't work that way. But what I love about that is it says, listen, I understand that if God's on my side and he is as powerful as he says he is, then I don't have to fear people. I don't have to fear circumstances. I don't have to fear a diagnosis. I don't have to fear that my teenager is never gonna walk with God. I can rest assured in his promises. If God told you to do something, your job is to listen to what he said To obey it, and then it's his job to make it come to pass as long as you've done what he said. That's where the absence of fear comes in, I believe. See, David didn't just choose not to fear, he chose to replace fear with confidence. You can't just say, I'm not gonna fear. Okay, well, then what are you gonna do? Because you gotta do something in, in place of it. So David didn't just say, I'm not gonna be afraid. He said, I'm gonna be confident. And I love when he says, or where he said that he said, I will remain confident. That's future tense. It was predecided in his heart that no matter what came against him, whether it was a person or an army or an entire nation, he would remain confident. We often believe that confidence is out of reach. And maybe we believe that confidence is for the people who are smarter than us or have more financial security than us or who have already found somebody to marry, or confidence is for people who look better than us, or whatever that may be. But confidence is a mindset that anyone can choose if they engage God in the process. Confidence is a mindset that anyone can choose if they engage God in the process. So how do we gain confidence? Number two, gaining confidence. Immediately after, David says, I will remain confident. No matter who attacks me, no matter who comes up against me, I will remain confident. Immediately after it, it's like David just takes a sharp left turn and takes us into nowhere. Sometimes the Psalms honestly come across to me like, where are we going with this? Can I just be honest? Paul's the same way. And honestly, sometimes the reason is because, like with Paul, he would be just standing there speaking and somebody would be writing it down. So imagine if you were just talking out a letter, maybe kind of like voice to text for us, but probably more accurate, right? Nothing scary in there. Um, But he would just be speaking stuff. Now I heard it said one time that sometimes what would happen with King David was he would go to the tabernacle and he would worship and people would be writing down what he was worshiping. So maybe that gives us some perspective on why it maybe came out the way that it did. I don't know if it was free form or he had written it before and brought it to the tabernacle to worship, but that gives me some perspective on sometimes the gamut of emotions that we see in the Psalms. So David takes his left turn and he says that, uh, he wants to spend all of his days living in the presence of God. You can see it in verse four. It says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. So why do we go from, I won't fear anybody who comes against me, I'll remain confident, and then we jump into, all I want to do for the rest of my life is worship. Well, the word Oh, sorry. I've missed a blank for you guys. Why did he switch gears from declaring his confidence to desiring God's presence? Desiring is the word there. I know somebody will ask me after what's in the blank. So let us see. The word "for" in verse five explains it for us. Let me read that for you. It says, "For he will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in the sanctuary." He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. So it says the presence of God is our place of protection. See, David was one of the most powerful military leaders of his time. And David was a scary dude. He was really, really, really good at fighting. But even he knew that as strong as he was and as great of a military as he had, he knew that the true place for protection was in the presence of God. David was also an expert at hiding, in case you didn't know. Before he was actually crowned king, he was set up to be the next king, but the current king, Saul, didn't like him very much. And so he literally chased David for years. And David hid in caves destined to be the next king, hiding in caves. He had a band of men that kind of were like the ruffians that probably nobody really liked, but they ran around with him and helped him be safe and stay away from King Saul. David was an expert hider, but David knew that the best hiding place was to be concealed in the presence of the living God. Because it's not just a physical hiding place, it's a spiritual hiding place as well. We associate so many problems in life with the physical and a lot of times we are trying to dodge the physical problem, but we can't dodge the spiritual problem until we get into the presence of God. How many of us find counterfeit confidence, security, safety, hiding places in things like financial security, relationships, our appearance? Come on, that didn't end in high school. You still think about it. Our social status, who we know, who are my connections. Men, how good we are at our job. How many of us find counterfeit confidence there when really the only thing that we can truly find our confidence in is God's presence? D, his time in God's presence was the source of his confidence. I'm gonna go over this pretty quick, but I love in the scripture that you'll see that David expresses concern. But when he walks into the presence of God, he doesn't walk in like, oh my goodness, how am I gonna take care of this? God, you really gotta help me. And don't get me wrong, sometimes the best prayer you can pray, I've heard this said before, is help, right? Sometimes that's the best you got, and, and God's like, I know what you mean, I'll help you. He's right there for you. But... Sometimes we've got to tell ourselves, I'm not going to rush this. I'm not going to come in worried and afraid. I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, number one, I believe how powerful God is. Number two, if you notice the language, it says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. You don't tell somebody, I'm going to go dwell in San Diego on vacation for four days. You tell them I'm going to go visit, right? Dwelling means you're going to stay there for a while. It means you're going to rest. It means you're going to put roots down. David wanted to dwell in the presence of God. He wasn't rushed. He wasn't hurried. He wasn't worried. He was there to put some roots down and spend time in the presence of God. So David said that he wanted to dwell there. Think about this. Fear fades when you behold the face of Jesus. E, David was confident, not arrogant. I'm going to move really fast through these. F. Arrogance is self-centered. It hinges on our ability to take care of things, and it absorbs the glory, like a black t-shirt while you're mowing the lawn in July. <laughs> Confidence is God-centered, letter G. It hinges on our inability to adequately care for ourselves, and his total power and willingness to do so for us, not just his power, his desire to take care of you. Instead of absorbing the glory, it deflects it toward him. It's been said that private prayer produces public power. I love that quote. Did you know that Joshua, who led the children of Israel across the Jordan River miraculously and into the land that God had promised them, where they defeated 31 kings. Did you know that before he ever became the leader, he would go into this tent where the presence of the Lord would be with Moses. And Moses would get a word from the Lord and he would leave and he would take care of what he needed to take care of because he was the leader and Joshua was kind of like his right-hand man. And Joshua, the Bible says, would stay in the tent where the presence of the Lord was. Joshua spent time in the presence of the Lord so that when the day came for him to have the torch passed to him by Moses when Moses passed away, he was confident enough and he still struggled with a lack of confidence if you read Joshua 1, but he knew the voice of the Lord and he knew how to abide in the presence of God. So when God told him, listen, you're going to take charge. This is what's going to happen. I want you to meditate on my word, which just means think about it over and over again. I want you to think about it all day so that you'll be able to do all that it says. And I want you to follow my instructions. Joshua knew God enough to know his voice, to be able to abide in his word and in his presence. And he trusted him enough because he knew him to obey what his instructions were. Knowing somebody produces trust and trusting somebody produces obedience. If you have an obedience problem, you may have a trust problem. Think about this. Time in God's presence produces confidence in the promise and confidence in the promise produces praise even during the process. I'm gonna say that a little bit slower. Time in God's presence produces confidence in the promise. And confidence in the promise produces praise even in the process. The process meaning, was David praising God when he was stuck in caves waiting on Saul to quit trying to kill him? Yeah. Because he spent time in God's presence. It didn't matter where he was at. Well, I wish I could be at the tabernacle or at church so I could spend time in God's presence. He sat there in caves and he spent time with God. Do you know when John wrote the book of Revelation? He was spending time in the Lord's presence. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which is the Sabbath. And he was was in exile on the island of Patmos. He got in trouble with the Roman government for preaching Jesus. He was in a place where you don't wanna be. Basically, he was in a work camp. But he didn't let the circumstances in the area that he was in dictate whether or not he could be in the presence of God. And because he spent time in the presence then he knew the promises of what was to come. So we've got to, in the middle of the process of all the tough things that life throws at us, we have to engage the presence of God, remember his promises, have confidence in them because we've learned the character of God. And then we can praise him in advance for what's to come because this is how David did it. He talked about, I wanna be in the presence of God because he'll conceal me there. And in verse six, he says, then I'll hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. Get this, at his sanctuary, I will, future tense, offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. It tells me that if you walked in tonight and your teenager is running wild and your finances are a mess and your marriage is in shambles and you don't know what you're gonna do and your health is bad or whatever that may be, you can still choose to have confidence in the promise of God, enter into his presence, and declare praise before you ever see anything happen. Amen? It's awesome. So number three is fighting your feelings. Now be honest with me. Have you ever wondered, did God forget about me? I'd just be really honest with you. I've been in the place before where I've said, how come they're getting so blessed? And this is when you get really judgmental. Look at what they do, and look at what I do. How are they getting so blessed? If you haven't been there, teach me your ways. Sometimes you feel like God forgot about you. David felt that way at times, but here's what I love. He felt that way sometimes, but he himself declared in Psalm 37, 25, once I was young, and now I am old. Somebody say amen, amen. Yeah, yet I have never seen the godly abandon or their children begging for bread. I have never seen people who pursue Jesus abandoned by him or begging and scraping and trying to make it. God will provide for you. We often wonder where God is, but the truth is, is that he's in the same place he's always at, on the throne and in control. Now, really the choice is, are you going to give him control of your life though? Because you can take it back if you want. We sometimes feel as though God has hidden himself, but in reality, he has invited us into his presence by way of Jesus. God is not hiding from you. God has invited you into the secret place. David asked God not to abandon him, but then he reminded himself in verse 10 that God will never do that. He said that even if my father and mother abandoned me, God will never forsake me. Now, actually, what's really cool is it says, actually, that the Lord will hold me close. And I'm going to go through this very, very quickly. But if you feel like you've been abandoned by maybe your actual family, maybe it was a father or a mother. And I want to clarify this. Sometimes we think of abandonment. I read this today and it was so good. Sometimes we think of abandonment as somebody leaving a situation. But sometimes in the grief process, if somebody passes away, you feel like they abandoned you. If you feel like you've been abandoned by maybe a physical family member, maybe a friend, maybe somebody who you thought was almost like, like they, they felt like they were spiritual family to you, then what David addresses here is he says, even if they abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And that Hebrew word can mean to gather, to receive, to protect, or it was even used as a, as a way to say like heal in cases of people who had skin conditions. If you feel like you've been abandoned by your father or your mother or whoever, here's what I know is that God's desire is to heal you, to pull you close, to protect you, and to free you from that. You don't have to live angry and bitter and frustrated and sad and grieving because of somebody who abandoned you in the past. Psalm 68 says that God is a father to the fatherless. He places the lonely in families and he gives joy. If your physical family has forgotten you, why don't you get adopted into a spiritual family? God tells us clearly in Hebrews thirteen five: I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So think on this, we should express our feelings in God's presence so that he can remind us of his promises. David didn't pull punches. David said, hey, don't leave me. Don't abandon me. And sometimes he would say, I feel like you did. But every time God would remind him of the promise that he would never leave him. Number four, obeying God's voice. Letter A, spending time in God's presence helps me hear his voice and trust him enough to obey his instructions. I'm gonna say something tough. Some people say, I just have to learn the hard way. Well, you know, I'm just an experiential learner. Or they may speak that over other people. Well, you know, my son, he just has to learn the hard way. I wanna say, no, you don't have to learn the hard way. No, you're not just an experiential learner. People say experience is the best teacher. That's a lie. Wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit and from the Bible, that's the best teacher. And it's really gracious of Jesus to come and to die on the cross for our sins, to spend three days in a grave and to rise again and then to go to heaven and send the Holy Spirit who the Bible says leads us into all truth. He reveals the scripture to us and gives us wisdom. It's really gracious of him to do that so that we wouldn't have to learn by experience and mistakes. So let's not insult the grace of God And the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures by saying we have to learn by experience because it's not true. And God wants to help you not learn that way. Following God's instructions clears my path and keeps me far from the enemy's traps. It clears my path and keeps me far from the enemy's traps. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. His might not be quite as specific, but it looks really bad. It's to steal, to kill, to destroy, everything good and fruitful inside of you. And along the way, to make you think that this is better than the plan that God had. And so it's really important that we understand how to hear the voice of God and follow his instructions, because what it does is it steers us clear of the traps of the enemy, Think about this, how many of our failures can be attributed to a simple lack of time in his presence? Not all of them. Sometimes we're just humans and we are what we like to call dumb. I always say D-U-M, dumb, just to make people think that I'm dumb, and it's awesome. Um, (laughs) C, a decrease in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit will always produce an increase in sin. And this is not fun to talk about, right? Right? But the less we hear his voice, the less we have guidance. And can I tell you, it'll also, it'll also produce a decrease in general enjoyment of life. The Holy Spirit will tell you almost the silliest thing sometimes. I'm, I'm pretty bad at time management. And so I remember the Holy Spirit telling me one time, you should put your clothes in the dryer. Because <laughs> we had a worship event that night, and I, I don't think I listened, actually. But he'll tell you stuff just to make your life easier so that an hour before your worship event, you're not freaking out and trying to stay saved because you're trying to get clothing that's dry. But he just helps you enjoy life more. D, God's voice reminds us of who we really are. David said in verse 12 that enemies were falsely accusing him. He says in the NLT that they accuse me of things I've never done. What Satan does is exactly the same thing. He'll either accuse you of your past, which in God's records and in God's books are already forgotten about. So it's like you never did it. Or he'll accuse you of things that you haven't done yet and tell you, well, that's who you are and that's who you must be. Because you thought one time about something and he'll tell you exactly who you are. What Satan does is he labels you. He labels you a certain way. He attaches a label to you by bringing up your past and then thinking that he can make you something into something that you're not. He tries to make you think you're something that you're not. So Satan places a label on you and God plants an identity inside of you. So through Jesus, God has made us righteous. We are the righteousness of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So the devil puts a label on you, but God plants an identity inside of you. You've got to live out of the identity and not live up to the label. And a lot of people told you that you were going to be something. And it could have even been a great thing that you just didn't want to be. Don't live up to the label live up to the identity that God's put inside of you. Live out of the identity. E, stay close enough to hear God's voice above the noise of the devil's lies. If you get too far from your kids at the theme park, they can't hear you and you're calling for them, right? Same exact thing with God. Stay close. Number five, I'm gonna finish this really quick. Hurry up and wait. Wait. A. and the natural we think strength comes from doing, which is often true. However, we can't miss the regenerative process that happens when we rest. What does this mean? If you work out your biceps every day, you are not gonna see the maximum effectiveness because you need to rest them. We think in religious circles that if we do as much as we can, then it's going to make me stronger in faith. But actually, we've got to rest to get stronger. There's a rhythm to it. B, spiritual strength and confidence come from resting in God's presence. And C, I love this. Now, let me read this really quick. The last verse of this passage says, wait patiently for the Lord, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Let us see, don't confuse waiting with laziness or inaction. The word for wait in verse verse 14 doesn't necessarily mean to sit around. It means to look for, to hope, to expect, or even to look eagerly for. And David exemplifies this in verse 13 when he says, yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. He was looking for the goodness of God. Isaiah forty. Verse 31 in the New Living Translation says that people who rest in God's presence will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Some people say, I'm waiting on God, but they're using it as an excuse to not act. And it's up to you to determine what that is in your life. It's between you and the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we say, I'm just waiting on the Lord, but we're using him as a crutch not to act. And once we're done using him as a reason not to act, we will begin blaming him for the, for the fact that things didn't work. So we'll say, I don't want to do anything because I'm waiting on God. But then we'll say, God, you didn't do anything. But resting in God's presence gives us power to act, not permission to be passive. If you would write that down in your margins, resting in God's presence gives us the power to act, not the permission to be passive. Just like the grace of God not only covers our sins, but it empowers us to live a righteous and holy life. And so if you notice in verse 31 of Isaiah 40, it says that the people who rest in God's presence will run and not grow weary. They will walk and will not faint. That means that they rested in God's presence and then they got up and they did something. And we've got to do the next right thing. As I've heard said before, we've got to do what God's already told us to do. Letter D, waiting is an act of faith. And letter E, religion teaches us that we'd better make things happen in our own strength and righteousness, but it always leads to frustration and tiredness. God's word teaches us that in order to truly grow, we must operate out of the strength found in his presence. Now I'm gonna pause for a second. And I mean this very, very, very honestly. And the band can come up. I'm a worship leader, so I know what it's like to get a, a... was it, were we supposed to come up and play keyboard right now or not? So that's why I said the band can come up. <laughs> Sometimes we sit back there and go, I don't know if we're supposed to be up there. <laughs> You've seen it happen. Challenge yourself. Now listen to this. Challenge yourself. How will you rearrange your schedule to engage God's presence in a greater measure this week? The strength you've been looking for is found in the presence of God. The freedom from the crippling anxiety is found in the presence of God. The confidence, maybe for some of us, and especially men, sometimes it's the confidence that we need to replace the arrogance that we put up as an act. Again, I want to speak one more thing to men. I just, I want to encourage you. Worship isn't a position of weakness. It's a position of strength. David was a warrior. They sent warriors out. They sent worshipers out in front of warriors in the Bible. Maybe for some of us, and ladies included, maybe it's an arrogant front that you put on, but it's really a lack of confidence and you need to replace the arrogance with confidence. And the way that's found in Scripture is in the presence of God. Maybe it's the fact that you just—you know there's something in your life that you need to change, but all week long you've been struggling with not wanting to do it. It's the presence of God that's going to change things for you. You've got to rearrange your schedule if you want to rearrange your spiritual life. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org.